All right, we're live. What up, people? I'm Noble Ackerson, uh, and uh, this is the first video version of uh, the Lost Explorers podcast. So welcome. Um, Lost Explorers is is something that I've been wanting to do for a while. Um, I've been asking for the last year, you know, what happened to the Glass Explorer, super passionate group of people uh, that um, did some pretty amazing things uh, when glass was a thing. Um, and there are some explorers out there that are still doing some amazing things out there, uh, you know, given with glass or without glass. Um, and so there's a certain type of person that comes to mind when, when, when we talk about glass. So I decided to set out, get on the beaten path and go find them. And then once I reeled them in, we talked about things. Uh, things like IoT, things about connected fitness, wearable technology, automotive technology, or technology entrepreneurship. <clears throat> and these are the things that I'm passionate about. So if you've ever seen a talk that I've ever given, you've ever read a blog post that I've ever made, you know that those are the four things that sort of you know revolve around. And those are the planets that revolve around my center, right? So with that, I went out hiking one day and and, and I, I found myself a lost explorer. And this lost explorer, uh, for most explorers, needs no introduction, but I'm gonna introduce him anyway, Mr. Alan Furstenberg. Alan, welcome. Noble, it is great to be here. Thank you very much. Alan, you are a lead project guru at Objective Consulting. Um, and somehow you guys landed, landed spiders.com. I have no idea how. How, how you did that. We've been doing this for a long time. So when, when the web started becoming a thing, we, uh, we were able to get it. Perfect. And you're GDE. So my first question to you is, what do you do? So a GDE is a Google developer expert. And these are a small group of people that work very closely directly with Google. And in a lot of ways, we're kind of an interface between the developer community and Google themselves, Google engineers, Google developer relations teams. So when you guys are trying to do something, we're in some ways your first line of contact. And when Google has questions about what we as developers do and like to do and need from them, we're the first resource they turn to. So that's what I, I do working with Google. I don't work for Google. I work closely with them. Okay. Uh, for my day job, a lot of what I do is I help companies, non-technology companies, do the same sort of thing. So when their IT departments turn to them and say, we don't know how to do this, we can't do it, they'll turn to, to my consulting company and say, look, can you tell us what this web thing is? Can you explain to us why mobile is important? Why wearables are important? Why the Internet of Things are important to our business? And we help them with that, and we help them uh, get started with these new technologies. That's awesome. So like, so why I see the intersection and it make, made sense that either Google tapped did you, did Google tap you or did you apply to become a GDE? How, do, how does one become a GDE? Um, there are a, a lot of different paths to becoming a GDE. I became a GDE and currently I'm a GDE for wearables specifically. Got it. Although I wonder why, but go ahead. GDEs touch everything that has to do with Google. So although I'm technically a wearables GDE, I do a lot of work with their Internet of Things project. I do a lot of work with their cloud projects. We're all all over the map. 
Um, well, oh, that's because Google by nature is all over the map too. Right. So, yeah. you know, you don't want to hedge, you, you want to hedge your bets. You don't want to sort of put all your eggs in the glass basket and wake up tomorrow and find out that glass is no longer shipping to consumers. And, and, and then what do you do next, right? right. You want to, you want to stay relevant with your tech. And we have, and we have no experience at all with that. Um, yeah. I first got started with the GDE program with Google Plus because right. I was helping a lot of developers create uh, add-ons for Hangouts and and working on that interface. They pulled me in uh, for Google Plus. Uh, that got me to Google I/O the year that they sh they announced Glass. Um, I signed up for that. I went to the Foundry event and I dove into it. Where where we met, if where, I remember. Where you and I met. Yes. Yeah. And you so and we I we're the, the we're we're the original glass explorers, but no, I, no, this is your interview. You're not interviewing me. I'm going to ask you to tell the story. So no, it was great. Noble was uh, Noble and I were sitting next to each other, working on totally totally different projects. You were working on a fitness project then. Of course, I have I no idea what. Yeah. And I was working on a data management program then. Of course. What year was this? Uh, this was February of 2013. Nice. Um, and we met, and I remember the two of us, uh, we both had our own projects, but we were just brainstorming like crazy, coming up with all sorts of ideas of what we wanted to do with Glass, the, the programs we wanted to do, the ways we saw using it. We just had all sorts of ideas, and, and I think that's where we first formed our friendship, in, uh, in, in just this, this ridiculous brainstorming. And I, and I, there, there, we could go on for thirty minutes to talk about what we talked about, we, we but, I wanna, yeah. but I want to, but I want to dive in specifically with with wearables, right? Because the whole idea, uh, given that this is the second episode of Gla uh, Lost Explorers, uh, people may not know why I'm doing this. Again, as I said at the top of the show, like, people like Alan are just uh, like. If you have like a, you know what a polymath is with languages, uh, um, you know, whatever the equivalent is with technology, um, I would sort of lump glass explorers generally into. They just, you know, there's one thing about being passionate about a technology and then just being like, just rabid uh, around glass. Alan's still wearing his sh shale um, no, glass. No, 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 no. Scott. I'm sorry, did I say shale? Jeez. You said shale. Shame on me. I. I went in with my shale. I actually, that was my first glasses that I got. I picked shale. You never wavered, uh, but I, I, I did. I moved from shale and I became charcoal. So those are my charcoal glasses and I always have them nearby because I have a toddler and she does amazing things and I don't want to sort of lose sight. Yeah, um, isn't great? Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, and so, so the question for you, Alan, is why did you become an explorer? So back in uh, 2012, at I.O. 2012, when they launched it, I sat in the audience and I watched the presentation and I said, this, this is something different. This is different and radical and revolutionary. Not just in what they were doing, but how they were doing it and how they were thinking about it. So very much the concept of you were just going to have this, com this computer that was there, right. there when you needed it, out of your way when you didn't. And we can take photographs of our toddlers immediately. We can get those notifications quickly. But more importantly, we could just play with our kids. And yeah. that was the most important thing. It was playing with our kids. Um, so on my way out of I.O., I stopped and chatted with them. And they sold me on the concept. 
they sold me on this, this concept that glass was a new sort of interface. It wasn't a cell phone strapped to your head. It wasn't a desktop computer sitting in your pocket. It was different and unique. And it was doing something that we never did before with computers. Right. And that was take us away from the computer. Right. Every computer that we've had before then literally said, you need to become immersed in this system. Virtual reality says you need to become immersed in our system. Right. Glass says as much as possible, you shouldn't be using this product. You should be living your life. Right. And, and if an would... opportunity comes by, capture that moment, but it's a micro interaction. Exactly. And, and don't live in this interaction. Exactly. And that was that's revolutionary. No right. other computer product that we have works that way. Right. So with that, that leads into my follow-up question which is actually the topic of today's episode. Why did people stop wearing glass? Well, people stopped wearing glass, I think, for, for a lot of different reasons. Um, part of it is there, there are technical problems. You know, we know there are hardware failures, we know, and, and these things get in the way. So when things get in the way of those micro interactions, when the micro interactions have to take up more and more of our processing, our human processing, it becomes less and less value to us. Right. And I think that actually leads into your next question, which is going to be, well, what about other wearables? Why right. have those had such problems? And I think the answer is the same. Because those wearables still take up a lot of human cognition. The right. fact that when I get a notification on my watch, it, 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 you notice I'm not wearing one. Right. It, it requires us to take more time away than we really want to dedicate to it. When right. I have to reply to it, it takes a lot more effort for us to, to gesture or type or talk into the watch right. than it did with glass. Glass text messages were conversational. I would see a notification, I'd tell it to read it to me, and I'd dictate a response back. Wearable watches don't have that same kind of conversational feel to it it still requires you to get into the watch. Glass, we didn't have to get into glass. So you've talked about the problem, uh, and I 100% agree. I actually can't even, I think we think alike in the, along those lines. If you were Ivy Ross or Sergey Brin uh, for, for a month, where would you take that, would you revive the glass project and what would you do to um, to sort of make it see another, see the light of day. Well, we know that glass is still being worked on. You know, we, we know that they're, you know, in stealth mode at Google now, out of Google X. We know that they're working on the next generation of glass. We can speculate about what that is. We can hope about what it is, but we know it's underway. What I hope they're doing, and although- What, would you, what would you do? You're, I, just, I, just, I just knighted you, well, let me, Sergey. For a day. Let, me, let me also say first that uh -huh. although I work with Google, I don't know what they're doing. Right, right. Um, what I would do is take glass and turn the volume up on it. Mm -hmm. So look at some of the things that were really, really good about what glass did. The voice interactions, the smooth controls, the conversational nature of the interaction and I'd build them into that device. I would leave the camera because I think the camera is one of the most unique and distinct parts of it. I would add additional sensors that we're seeing coming out of Project Tango. 
I would add additional voice systems that we're seeing going into their um, Google Home products now. All of this stuff I would put into the next version of Google Glass. So there, there's this thing that I keep saying over and over. There's, you know, I go through waves and do a lot of interviews with people. I do a lot of talks, and I always, and I always say, you know, everything is amazing and no one is happy. Uh, we have this form. We had this form factor at Glass that, in my view, compensated for a lot, but actually provided the minimal that a, a wearer needed in order to sort of go about their lives in order, and, and gain the benefits or at least do what Glass was built to do, right? Um, and in my view, I feel that given that this was open out, this was open for, um, for developers at large, I don't think we had, developers had enough uh, time and runway to to actually build things that were specifically made for glass. I, I would agree with you strongly there. One mm -hmm. of the one of the the big things that we saw with mobile development, for example, is it took years right. for for you to start seeing applications that truly thought about how people use their mobile devices. And we weren't at that point yet. We were just barely beginning to get to it. You know, we saw things like LinksFit. We saw things like Voodoo really understand that the glass interface was a new way of thinking about how we would interact with devices. Right. Um, and we were just beginning to get there. I think glass, the next version of glass will be better because we've had a little bit of that experience. We haven't seen the wrist wearables yet really capture what's awesome about wrist wearables. Right. It'll take a few more years for that. It'll take many more years for us to see products like Google Home and Alexa really develop those interfaces right. to a point where it becomes totally conversational. And I think when you see those, you'll see that same technology incorporated into glass and the same benefits being added to glass with the addition of the camera and the display. So I find that given that the, the hardware, the innards of these wearables that we have, glass included, um, are basically mobile, you know, mobile device hardware that have either evolved and miniaturized a little bit, uh, and you know, uh, technologies that have existed for well over two decades now that um, you know have been refined and iterated on, uh, and sort of repurposed for a small form factor on the wrist or on the on the head, um, and with that, what you find is. If it's not, if it's sort of sh uh, pitched as a general purpose device, as glass was, you then find that you know it's it's blue ocean. People start thinking, and Google actually encourages people to start thinking about interesting ways to adapt this emerging technology. That's the good thing. The bad thing about that is now you have the the, the core issues that I think sort of. Um, stymies you know the success of this project you have heat dissipation because if you're gonna have a use case that a lot of people claim they want that you know i want my camera on all the time to be able to do you know computer vision trickery um in order to do that that heat the heat dissipation you know needs to go somewhere right so you're gonna have a, a performance hit you're also gonna have a battery hit uh in almost almost most of the use cases that are uh, that are um 
performed uh, that, that are performed with these wearables. Uh, you're going to have, you know, a comfort uh, hit because you have a scenario where, you know, you're trying to fit sensors and, and optics and, and, and batteries and a whole bunch of, you know, board in a form factor that is either smaller or just about the size of glass. I actually personally think this is a good size. Um, some people and, thought it was too jarring. And, and I point out you've got one other big problem that the glass engineers did a great job with, but not a perfect job. And that's that humans are really, really tricky creatures. You know, there's a reason why we've got 90 different kinds of smartphones, all of which are slightly different. Okay, we all have different heads. And there are, you know, there are people that can't see well out of their right eye, right. and glass only works on the right eye. Right. There are people whose heads are slightly larger, and glass didn't quite fit the same. Right. Or the 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 speaker sat in a different in a in a place where they couldn't hear it. Right. There are a lot of issues like that that are tricky problems. Glass so then, glass was a good start, but it's far from the last solution. That's great. All right. So before we transition to talking about some things that happened in the week this week, just to wrap things up, um, you talked about what you would like, just to, to, to qualify, what was it that you'd like to see in a future version of Glass, given that we, you and I both don't know anything about what's happening? Yeah, I'd like to see the next version of Glass, you know, be essentially the current one, but amped up to 11. I'd like it to, to address um, a lot of the, the human factor issues, you know, dressing multiple eyes, uh, dealing with the, the headphone, the, the speaker better, dealing with battery life. These are all, you know, real personal things. Um, and I'd, I'm really expecting to see it incorporate a lot of the technology that we're seeing Google working with now. The Tango sensors, um, the voice technology that's going to be going into Google Home, all of the stuff that, you know, that's going on across the board. Mm -hmm. I think we'll we'll see it in the next generation of glass, and it'll only going to make it better. Perfect. All right. So there's one news item that actually inspired uh, me having a wanting to reach out to uh, to Alan. And Alan, I'm going to sort of we're going to sort of run through that. And if you have any closing statements or if you have any other news items, um, feel free to add them. Uh, but the news item uh, was posted in my wearables weekly collection collection uh, last week. And it was titled the primary reason that wearable device owners stop switching past tense, stopped using wearable devices. Uh, the number one guess, assuming I guess you've already seen this, this, this graph yeah. uh, to the audience, guess which functionality or reason why people uh, stop using wearable devices. And, and it's just people think, it's limited functionality and use. So that's the first, that's the first um, thing. They feel that the watch or the glasses don't really do much for them. Uh, the second reason is that they aren't standalone. So they want yet another chip. They want a, a, a 4G uh, or cell, a, way, a cell connectivity thing so they don't have to carry you know, one of these things around, right? Uh, a cell phone around. And then, of course, the third, I, well, and then the third most popular, third and fourth most popular thing was that uh, yeah, no built-in internet connectivity. But then, isn't that the same as standalone? And isn't that the same as limited functionality? So, well, I, in, in my in my view, all three were pretty much the same. 
And I, I find all three of them interesting. And you're, I'm sure you're going to have this conversation when you talk about um, connected fitness. Right. Um, all three of those are are exactly the opposite of what you see with fitness trackers. Right. right. Fitness trackers do none of those, right? right. Yeah. And yet fitness trackers are massively successful. And I think the real reason is one that didn't show up on that chart anywhere at all. It's yes, it's that there is limited functionality. Yes, it's that it isn't standalone. Yes, it's that it doesn't have internet connectivity. But really what it is, is that it doesn't do any of those and it's expensive. Right, exactly. So if, if a watch was $100 and did what it does now, they'd be selling like hotcakes, right? right? The problem right. is they are the same price as your smartphone. Right. So people are thinking, look, if I'm paying, I, I, you know, why would I pay for a smartphone and then pay for the exact same thing, I pay the exact same amount, and pay put it on my wrist, and, pay and a I still need my fee. smartphone. <laughs> and pay a recurring fee if you want it to be standalone and have a 4G right. signal. Right, so, yeah. so I think what you're going to see is when the price of it comes down, when it comes to a point where I can think of it in terms of, okay, this is just a second screen and keyboard for my phone. Right. And I'm paying for it the same way I pay for a second keyboard for my computer. You know, that it's a low price compared to the, the cost of the, of the main device itself. But it adds functionality in a way I never thought I could use it before. So before, you know, it wasn't a problem for me to have my phone in my pocket, but I'd be pulling it out all the time. Now I don't pull it out all the time. I gave, my, I gave one, of my, uh, one of my smartwatches to my father. He loves it simply because he doesn't have to pull it out of his pocket anymore. Right, right. But he probably wouldn't love it if he had to pay for it. Right. So in, to, to your point about connected fitness, um, a lot of the available devices that are doing very well uh, are single purpose devices. Yeah. Uh, so you've got the people who love Garmin. I've got my Garmin sitting right next to me. I use it when I'm doing a race and I'm use, I use it when I'm training for a race. I don't wear it every day, it's not general purpose. Um, it, the Fitbit, the same thing. It comes back, I guess the central theme uh, goes, sort of goes back to the, uh, something I said before, which is when you make a general purpose device, you best make sure that the hardware, the sensors, the board, the optics, the battery is built purposely for wearables or for the medium. And when you don't do that as a, man, as a manufacturer, coupled with intuitive user interfaces that double down and laser focus on the primary objective of said hardware, what you find out is, um, people aren't really gonna know what to do with it. And people are gonna sort of just start complaining about the things that, um, you know, you don't have apps or, or, or functionality built in uh, purposely for what it's for. Then right, you have what, what it boils down to is Fitbit is a killer app. Yeah, Garmin exactly. Killer app. The, the hardware is the app, Right, the, the iPhone, when it came out, it had the killer app with it. And right. had other stuff, but it had that killer app. Right. Glass never quite had that killer app. It was close. It was tantalizingly well, well, close. Well, I, I, let's disagree on this. Alan and I, for anyone listening, um, doesn't follow. We, we agree on like ninety percent, but then the ten percent. I disagree that 
Glass didn't have the killer app because the killer app was the camera. Unfortunately, uh, no, no, camera- no, but I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna stop you right there. And here's why. Every time I talk to somebody about this, I'm almost always interrupted, and the person says, "No, no, 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 you don't understand. <laughs> there was a killer app, and right. the killer app was." And then they tell me something com- completely different. I've heard people tell me it was the text messaging. I've heard people tell me ah. it was it was the navigation. And I agree with you. I love the camera. That's what I still use my camera for. Mm-hmm. Totally different than how I use any other camera, and I still love it for that. I still love it for text messaging. I never got into navigation, but I know people who swear by it for navigation. Mm-hmm. The problem oh, is wow. all of those, it was never really the killer app. You need to make a mental shift in how you I think see. about using it. Right. And it goes back, so what I was actually leading towards is that um, the camera, if it was a one of the killer apps for this thing, uh, the device wasn't optimized for the camera. And you had also social... Um, you had big social problems when it came issues to Issues with, 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 with glass uh, and, and a camera. Like for, for God's sakes, I built a fitness app and forgot to do user research, uh, uh, extensive user research on it and found out that nobody wants to show up at a gym with a face computer or a camera on it. So, <laughs> so, so there's that. <laughs> So yeah, so that's the show. Um, Alan, do you have anything else uh, to add? Did you are there any other news articles that uh, you wanted to tap on, and then we'll talk about you know what you're doing now, how people can find you, and and all that stuff. No, you know I, I have no other big news stories. I think the big thing I would uh, remind people is when you're looking at where wearables are going, mm-hmm. look at the big picture. It's it's yeah, it's the watches, but it's also the Internet of Things. It's right. also what Google is doing with uh, Google Home. I'm really excited to see where that's actually going to go and what the technology behind it is. Right. And most importantly for all of them, where developers are going to tap into that. Because if it's just Google, it's going nowhere. But if they actually give us an ecosystem where the developers are going to build the home equivalent of Uber, the right. home equivalent of eBay, those are going to be where you're going to see the revolution. So in, in the words of Google, like when Google introduced Glass, one thing that really attracted me to that platform was a problem that they were trying to solve. And Alan, you mentioned that at the very beginning. Uh, it was actually the only device that was, was being marketed on making technology go away. And, and that's sort of a nice way to sort of wrap this interview up. Uh, when we talk about ubiquitous computing, and, and 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 unfortunately, a lot of people and Alan, please, you get the last word on this. Uh, the promise of ubiquitous computing in respects to the computers that live in that universe. Can you you know where I'm going with this? I, so. I think you do. Yeah. Um, really, you know, for those that aren't aware of ubiquitous computing, I'd start looking into it because it really starts. It's it's it really starts saying things like. Um, getting towards what Star Trek's computer was all about. It's the computer that's just sitting there in the background, waiting for you to, to, to want to do something. It's the computer that anticipates your schedule. You know, it's though it's the computer that- Con- Context, do. it knows it's context, context is king when it comes right. to ubiquitous computing. Right. Um, so, you know, that's, that's the other field that I think people should be looking at is where Google's going with machine learning and AI, because that's all about your context. Right. Um, 
Okay. Uh, you know, these are all things that we're all learning. And I'm encouraging people, if you're a developer, you need to understand ubiquitous computing. If you're a person who's going to be using it, you need to understand what's important about it to you. It's not having a barcode scanner in your fridge. It's having the fridge just know. Right. It's you doing what you are doing now, the way you're doing things now, with minimal changes to your life, and yet having a computer help you do that. That's what all of this technology should be working for. Perfect. It's a nice place to end it. Technology uh, so, so takes a back seat, understands you know, what you, the owner, or the people in your house are doing in order to serve you, serve you best. So as a developer, if you're building, uh, as uh, Ellen just put it uh, quite nicely, you know, think about that in context with ubiquitous computing, uh, at least the principles of ubiquitous computing. Um, and, and, and if you need any help on this, two mm -hmm. great resources, both of them are mine. Uh, my company can be found at spiders.com, or you can find me and all of my presentations at prisoner.com. Alan, are you on any other social media outlets that you can plug? Uh, you can find me on Google Plus. I'm Alan Furstenberg there in a bunch of places. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at A Furstenberg. Perfect. All right, with that, I'm going to end the class. Thanks, everybody, for uh, tuning in. Uh, we try to keep these uh, pretty short. Some of them may go longer than others, but you're tuning in anyway, so what does that matter? I'll see you in the very next episode. Uh, we'll be talking to another explorer that I find out in the, uh, in the oasis out there. Um, and I hope you, uh, you enjoy it and, and subscribe it and recommend it to friends. Bye.